Welcome to Beyond the Tools, the podcast that helps contractors attract more leads, grow their business, and finally get off the tools. In each episode, you'll discover marketing tactics that work. You'll get actionable insights from other successful contractors and connect with experts to help you grow. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, owner of a social media agency that helps contractors attract and convert more leads. Get ready to take your business to the next level so you can finally enjoy the fruits of your hard labor. Ready? Let's go. Hey, contractors, welcome to Beyond the Tools. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, and today's episode is a topic that we haven't really covered before, but I think it is so important, especially given the labor shortage and some of the trends we're seeing in the workforce. Today, we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and our guest is Stephanie Howlett, the CEO of Diversity NL. Stephanie is a proud member of the 2S LGBTQ plus community, and her pronouns are she, her, and hers. She's the CEO of Diversity NL, which she started in 2020 to follow her passion as an innovator who helps organizations implement diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging through inclusive policies and strategies for equity-seeking groups. Her mantra is that high-performance teams have four secret ingredients, diversity, equity, inclusivity, and belonging. These teams outperform by 20%, creating work cultures and breaking down silos, enhancing productivity, idea generation, and revenue growth. What I love about this conversation today is that Stephanie isn't afraid to dig into difficult topics and really answer the questions that a lot of us are afraid to ask. I know that you want to be a welcoming workplace. I also know that change is hard. And if we want to grow our businesses, we need to open up the pool of potential people that can work for us. So if you're in a position that you really want to be a progressive workplace, you want your employees to feel supported and welcomed, and that you can attract all different kinds of people, this is the episode for you. And I think it's something that everyone can learn from. I certainly learned a lot in this conversation. And Stephanie is an incredible resource to help us all create a place where employees feel like they can belong and they can bring their true authentic selves to work. I love this conversation. I hope you do too. And I'd love to hear what changes you are going to be making in your workplace as a result of this. So let's head on over and chat with Stephanie. Stephanie, welcome to Beyond the Tools. I'm super excited to have you here this morning. I'm beyond excited to be here. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. So diversity and inclusion, obviously a hot topic these days. But when we talk about diversity and inclusion, what exactly does that mean? And why is it important in the workplace? Yeah, so diversity, equity, and inclusion, I'll put that in there because really we need those three things in order to have belonging in the workplace. So looking at who's in your workplace, really having a look at the metrics, having a look at what your organization is doing, some of the change maker things, really having a look at 
you know, what every single person is taking on because diversity, equity, inclusion is an everyone thing that has to happen in the workplace. Everyone has to be involved. Everyone's voice has to be heard. And it's not just a HR person. It's really from a CEO to your middle managers to every single person that's in that workplace needs to be involved in diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, making sure that people feel that they're part of the organization, people feel included. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, to give a bit of context to, especially in the trades, which is where most most of our listeners are working in that industry, we often talk about a labor shortage. So I know, you know, in the US, I think it's less than 10% of the workforce in the trades are women. And I think it's even less in Canada, I think it's like 3%. And that's obviously just a snapshot. That's not even talking about, you know, minorities or gender diverse or sexual orientation and, and all the other types of people that there are. So, you know, I, I think what we really have here is an opportunity to expand your workforce, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. I think every single organization, uh, especially since the pandemic, has been looking at labor market shortages. How do we get folks through our door because their businesses are suffering? You know, people are leaving. And really, how do we get people engaged? And when we look at 50% of our workforces are females or those who identify as female. And then we have folks who are part of the equity seeking group. So Indigenous, uh, persons with disabilities, you know, women, we have racialized minorities and the 2SLGBTU plus community. So when we look at all these five equity seeking groups, it really makes a whole lot of sense to look at what we're doing within organizations to create safe places and spaces for people to come and be themselves. That's interesting. So I am curious when the average client comes to you and they're looking at this in their workplace, what spurs that for them? Why do they start to look at, you know, we really need to be thinking about this more or making our workplaces more friendly? Yeah. So I think over the past two to three years, people's points of view have changed really with diversity, equity and inclusion and I think a big part of that movement was George Floyd and what happened to him in the U.S. I think that really portrayed a big light and shone a big light on, you know, organizations we need to do better and we need to do more to be inclusive of, of everyone, you know, not just, you know, white middle-aged men who are, are CEOs of many of our organizations. So only 2% of CEOs are females or those who identify as female. And when we get into more statistics, it's even less than that for minority groups. So really having a look at, how we make this an everyone thing, how we make everyone feel included in our organizations is its really key. Um, we can't have diversity, equity, and inclusion without every single one of those things, diversity without the equity, and then without then inclusion comes from these things. And then that sense of belonging, that sense of wanting to stay within an organization. And, and we look at that, a lot of organizations want education, they want training, they want information, they want to know how can we do more, they want to know if we're, how do we attract employees at different equity, you know, those equity seeking groups, but it all has to start with really looking at our metrics. So if your CEOs and managers know your metrics, so as we know, what gets measured uh, is what gets done within organizations. And that's huge. So if you're not measuring it, how do you know who's in your organization? How do you know how to be supportive? That's an interesting point, because I know there's a lot of conversation around quotas. What's your take on that? So I had a fascinating conversation yesterday with the DEI group I'm part of 
uh, within Atlantic Canada. And we talked a lot about hiring people based on intention. So intentional hiring. I think intentional hiring is fantastic because you look at who's within our workplace and intentionally hiring someone because you need that person within your organization, because you need their skill set, you need their extra thought process, you need their vantage point and point of view. So you're in essence saying, we don't have this person at our table and we need them here. Why? Because you know, you're going to have greater productivity. You're going to have like 22% greater productivity when you have diversity, equity, inclusion. That's that's a whole lot. That's a big statistics. You know, you have higher customer satisfaction, 39%, right? We all want satisfied customers, right? And if it's 39% more satisfied customers, you know, that's huge. And another piece of the why is higher productivity. If you have 27% higher productivity because people feel engaged and are part of your organization, um, they're going to stay. Right. So, and the other part is you're you're having lower turnover rates when you have DEI involved. Twenty two percent lower turnover rates. So big statistics. So more the question is why wouldn't you look at diversity, equity, and inclusion? Mm, that's interesting. And I know I was having a conversation with uh, a friend this morning. You know, kind of talking about that I was going to be doing this interview. I was like, what well, what are some of the questions I should ask? And you know, they said. Well, for me, I care about skills and nothing else. I'm not really looking at those things. So while I know that that comes from a place of good intention, um, my impression is that that's not really enough. What would you say? Yeah, you're looking at skills, sure, you know, in trades, but are you looking at like what you're missing from your organization? How can you make your organization stronger, more supportive, more inclusive? How do you take your organization to the next level? So if you have everyone in your organization that looks the same, that thinks the same, you have what you call a group think. You don't have innovation. You don't have um, driving factors that's moving your company ahead. So, you know, pandemic has showed us Zoom, podcasts, it has showed us that many different learning tools that we use now were never used before. So if we continue to do things in the same manner, we are not going to progress ahead as organizations and as industries, you know, and, and I think this is, you know, where we need to be to looking at how do we do things different? How do we do things better? How do we do things in a different stream in a different light? And I think by looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, we're really progressing and moving our organizations ahead. So when you start looking at these things and why it's good business using some of these statistics, I think that organizations will see then that, you need to start looking at them and creating a bigger impact within society. It's not just about your business. It's how do you create bigger impact within your ecosystem as well. Right. So when we look at the benefits of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I mean, numbers don't lie. I think those are some pretty compelling statistics. So where do you start? I know you mentioned looking at measuring. How do you even go about that? So with the organizations I've worked with, and they've been, some have been small, as low as 10 to 12 people, and others have been as high as eight and 10,000 people. So we look at putting surveys in place, actually measuring who's in your organization. So instead of, I always say, instead of measuring gender, because not everyone feels they're male or female, because there's some folks who are non-binary, we measure gender identity, for instance, then people get to express who they exactly are. You know, we get to measure it might be a person's disabilities within your organization because you want to be able to provide support for folks. Uh, you might be measuring, you know, person's race or ethnicities. You know, who's in our organization? How can we include them? How can we provide support? How can we potentially look at employee resource groups, also called ERGs in many different locations? 
So it might be women in leadership. It might be, you know, Black Lives Matter support group. It might be, you know, a pride support group. It might be a person's disability. There's so many different ways that organizations have created groups that just support one another and workers within their within their organizations. So that's the way of looking at metrics is providing it in the support banner and also looking at does the community we serve and clients we serve, do they see themselves within our organization? So, you know, if we're doing business to business with organizations within industries, you know, are our clients seeing themselves within us, right? Are we, are we ha- do we have the same value set as what our clients do, right? If we're serving a Black population, do we have workers within our industry who are part of that population, right? You know, do, you know, do we have that? And looking at some of those things. And when you start to measure your metrics, you really know where your gaps are. You really know who's in your organization, what gaps are missing, what technical gaps, what skills. You get to know, you know, what support you need to provide. You may get to know who's leaving your industry at a faster number. And I always say you really should, you know, do those uh, pulse surveys or benchmarkings at least once a year to get to know, you know, who's exiting, what's the reason, who's coming into your organization by numbers, by all these sorts of things, we can see trends. And and when you start to measure, you'll see trends in how your organization is either progressing or some strategies and things you need to put in place to help it progress further. So how does does that translate then into hiring? So you've identified, for example, that you have gaps within certain communities. What do you do with that information? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you feel you have a gap, you can certainly look at your hiring processes. You can look at your wording, your language that you're using. There's a, a great uh, program that's free on the internet. It's just called the Gender Decoder. You can certainly put your advertisements, your job posts in there to see if you have inclusive language. You know, is it more oriented towards males, towards females? Is it gender neutral? Like, like gender neutral, like where is that to you? So by changing language, you can make it different persons applying your job posts. You know, so, or you could look at going to communities. If you're trying to hire someone from an indigenous community, going to that community and saying, this is the job post that we have. Do we have anyone interest in this? Not, we need to make a realization that not everyone uses LinkedIn. Not everyone uses a career beacon or a format that's a more professional format. So some people uh, within communities may not have access to these things. So really going to those communities or organizations and saying, these are some posts that we have. Might you have folks that are interested in applying on some of these, you know, because we really want to get, you know, certain folks involved that may not have been like could be gender diverse. It could be indigenous persons with disabilities, like getting folks involved in more organizations and, and more things that we're doing. Because I think we all have microaggressions and their stereotypes of where certain people should be, certain groups should be. I had a great conversation yesterday about persons with disabilities. And when you see a person with disability, one of the perceptions is that they should be behind a desk doing work, right? They shouldn't be, for instance, in an industrial site. They shouldn't be, because someone always thinks wheelchair, they think disability, but there's many different types of disabilities that people can have that they can easily work in any different workplace. They may need a couple of accommodations or they may not. You may not even know the person has a disability just you know, from, from looking at them. Mm, that's a really great point. And I am curious, Stephanie, in, in your experience, what are some of the questions that business owners are afraid to ask when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? So I think they're afraid of actually asking questions to begin with for fear of making a mistake. Or, But like this is one of those learnings and unlearnings that we, that we have to do. 
like from my background, being a part of the 2SLGBTQ community, I talk a lot about pronouns and using your pronouns. So in some of the conversations I have, people sometimes are afraid to ask questions, you know, not knowing what is a pronoun, right? You know, that's, you know, pronoun is the way that you, you perceive yourself. So I use the pronouns she, her, and hers. You know, other folks may use different pronouns. So not asking a question for fear of it being a silly question or making a mistake or um, just coming off in the wrong light or offending someone. I always say to people, I think if your question is asked with respect, it's never going to be offensive. Right. That's a great point. I love that. Right. So I think just being vulnerable, being able to ask questions and being open for someone to correct us. I make mistakes all the time in some of the language because language really does matter, the language that we're using and getting to know what language in the equity seeking groups is appropriate and not appropriate. So going back to looking at your workforce and measuring the different groups that are comprised there, how do you go about making your workplace more friendly? I know you touched on support groups as one way, but are there other ways that you can then use that information to transform your workplace? I think if you start everything, if you start looking through, uh, I think, a really diverse lens at who's in your organization what you offer, like you said, in the form of support and training. If you start looking at who's your supplier diversity, who are you as a business, whether that's a small business or bigger business, who are you supporting? Who do you volunteer with? Who do you give to as a charity? You know, Who do you support? Because really, we spend our monies on those who are in line or in values, have the same value set as we have as people, as organizations. So like, what does that look like? Because there's many different ways that you can look at diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not just within our workplaces, really within our communities, it's within those people that we engage with. That's a really great point. I think even for me, I'm like, hmm, interesting. I I could probably learn some things there. Right. So like, for instance, on a Friday, if your organization's eating out or you're giving gifts, you know, with upcoming holiday seasons or different things, where do you buy those things to? You know, where do you buy the gifts to? You buy it on the big box stores? Do you buy it locally from the shops? You buy it from ethnic groups that are trying to, you know, make a living really hard within our communities, the small businesses that sometimes are struggling. Like, who do you support as a person and, and as a business? Because these are important to, to look at, you know, supplier diversity. It's, it's all around us. So especially in the trades, and I know we've touched on this already, but it's primarily male dominated. And I know our listeners are, are primarily men. So how do you think for the average straight white man who's perhaps tuning in here, how do you think that they can make a difference? I think they can make a number of different differences. The first thing I think is if they see a microaggression in a workplace, if they can speak out and speak up, if someone makes, for instance, a racist joke, a homophobic joke, a joke about someone uh, who's a female on the work site to really have a voice and have that person's back to really say, you know, that language is not appropriate. We don't use that here to say, I didn't, you know, like using what we call interrupters. So they can, you know, say, can you explain that to me? I didn't understand, you know, you know, the meaning behind what you just said, just really speaking out for people. I think using their privilege, you know, white males have a lot of privilege within our society, more than what they even know for Sylvia Sylvia Duckworth uses a great example. It's called the Wheel of Power and Privilege. I suggest that people look it up if you have interest in it, but it talks about all the privileges that we have as people. And white males have the most privilege in our society. So I think for them just to be able to know the privilege that they have and be able to use that within workplaces, it's it's huge. Another thing you can do is within work sites, make sure that 
women and other minority groups have the support that they need, uh, whether that's through overalls or coveralls or training or work gloves, making sure just the basic needs, a washroom, just just basic safety needs are covered. Yeah, because imagine a man that has to get into a woman's overalls who are who are it's slim, it's body fitting. It's the same thing when a woman has to get into coverall, coveralls or overalls that don't fit their body type and have to wear gloves that are too big. It creates safety risks. It creates these are just are these are things that they need within a workplace. The same as what any man your needs in workplace is what that looks like, right? Because all of our body shapes are different. All of the things that we need are different. So just looking at some of the, the very basics, I think, would be you know fantastic. Yeah, that's a great point. I know we've had a a previous guest on the show talk about, you know, speaking to women specifically that were working as technicians in the trades, you know, especially in heating and cooling, and they're going to customers' houses and they're like, you know, I I can't pull off on the side of the road, like, (laughs) to go to the bathroom, right? Exactly. Yeah. So just providing some of the, the basic essentials that you would for anyone else, you know, washrooms, like I said, overalls, gloves, like different things, whatever's your industry is, ensuring that that person has what they need to make it safe. Just to carry on with that thought, Crystal, like creating safety in safe places is important because if you are in an industry, you know, let's take a um, carpentry, plumbing, heating, any of those industries, which are mostly male dominated, which we just said, having the abilities to adapt, you know, things, and you know, there might be some different tweaks and changes that we have to do, creating that safe space for people to come in because many different companies I've talked to that are male dominated have said, so I don't understand why women come to our organization. They come in the front door within a couple of weeks, they leave again. And the biggest conversation I have is how do you, how do you look at safety? What does that look like? Creating safe spaces overall so that people who are you know different than you come in and are able to stay and able to see themselves as adding and being a part of your organization, your industry. So the thing is, you can start by doing that by having just education sessions, just by talking about, you know, we're, we're looking at intentional hiring of females in our industry, for instance. And, you know, some of the language we use here may not be, you know, acceptable. Some of the terms that we use, some of the ways that we conduct ourselves may not be professional, for, for instance. Um, some of the some of the posters we have up on our walls may not be appropriate. Just looking at overall workspaces, what's acceptable and what's not, you know, because I think we've progressed ahead in society and ensuring that workplaces and workspaces uh, do the exact same thing. That brings up an interesting point because change is hard. So, you know, we may have listeners on here who are like, okay, I get it. I know I need to make some changes, but how do you, roll that out to your team? How do you get, you know, if if your team primarily is other men, as an example, other straight white men, for example, how do you get them on board with those changes? How do you change that culture, really? Yeah. And, and really, it's a slow change, like, I'll be honest, because it's really having conversations with people, and they're tough conversations. So I suggest at your managers, executive levels, start talking about you know, measure first, then start talking about what's come back on your benchmark and start looking at what small pieces of change you can make. And it does start with your tough, awkward conversations. You know, this is where we scored to, and then start diving into some information we want to bring in, you know, could be, you know, someone will just, we'll just go with women. We want to bring women into our organization. And I think sometimes you have to bring that to a personal level to say to, to say to a male in the organization, how would your daughter feel coming into our industry, coming into our locker room? 
you know, if if your wife came into our locker room, if your daughter came in, if your whomever came in, your mother came in, what would they think about language we're using? What would they think about the posters we have on the walls? What would they think about the setup of of our organization or office space? Like, I think sometimes we got to make it to that personal level in order for some people to really genuinely understand and see, right? So if if you put yourself in someone else's shoes, if you can do that, which is not always easy for some of us, because, you know, you know, a lot of us have a lot of privilege, but if we can put ourselves in someone else's shoes, I think it really creates a big impact. Mm-hmm. I'm going off script for a second. <laughs> I'm just trying to think like, I'm I'm putting myself in the shoes of most contractors, and they are very uncomfortable with this sort of thing. And I, I believe a lot of them are progressive thinking, and they see the value, but it's just like, they don't really know what to do. And I'm thinking about scripts. You know what I mean? Like having those, like, these are things that I can say in certain scenarios, but I'm trying to think about what those might be, because I think those practical pieces can have an impact, but I don't, I don't know where to go. Yes. Like the part I talked about speaking out and speaking up, you know, they're called racist or interrupters or interrupters in general. Like if if there's language that you hear in the workplace that you're not on board with and that you don't agree with, truly it's about, you know, the microaggressions, the cooler talk piece. Yeah. Okay. I got a question around it. So Stephanie, when we talk about microaggressions and interrupting that, that's obviously uncomfortable for anybody. And, you know, I even know myself, sometimes I hear things and I'm like, oh, like I, this is not right, but I don't know how to respond in this situation. Can you give us some examples of what kind of scenarios might unfold and what you can say to deal with that or to interrupt that commentary? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's another great question that, and it happens in every single workplace, not just, uh, you know, male-led workplaces. Many times, and that creates toxic work environments, which are very uncomfortable for people. So I think, you know, there are conversations that are very uncomfortable. There are ones that everyone tries to shy away from. And there are ones that they're tough. Let's just say it. They're they're freaking tough. (laughs) They're really tough, right? So I always say to people, I call them racism interrupters or interrupters. There's things that you can say, you know, I didn't know you thought that way. That language is not appropriate here. Or tell me more about that. I don't understand your point of view or perspective. So by gently challenging the person, you're really giving them an opportunity to think about what they said. And most times people will take back what they just said, because I think they just, they do it in a carrying on, I'm just joking sort of manner. But then that becomes a really passive aggressive or an aggressive statement. So I think there's lots of language that have changed over times. So I think if they knew what that meant to the person. So for instance, if you're making a, a homophobic joke, not knowing there's someone in the room that's part of that community. And I think if you do an everyday practice of talking like there's someone gender diverse in the room or talking like your mother's in the room, would she respect that language? What would she think of you? I think if we talk that way in a workplace, things would be much more respectful. They'd be much more inclusive. And I think people would, to be honest, really enjoy their jobs each and every day, as opposed to being fearful of some comments that might be made or a joke that might be made against a different race or religion or disability. Let's do a couple examples. So the word guys in organizations. So most people use the word guys 
or ladies. So I had a conversation with a big group. I did education session. And in the education session, I said, let's talk about some language that you feel uncomfortable with when it's used. And someone said the word guys. And I said, absolutely. I said, because when you say guys to a room full of people, and if you're female, it may not feel comfortable or may not feel that you're included. And another person said, it's the same as saying ladies, and you have a group of mixed of males and females and non-binary folks in a room. And you say, hey, ladies, how does that person who identifies as male feel? It's a different, it's a different feeling, isn't it? So just looking at uh, different words you can use, like, hey, everyone, um, folks, there's there's so many different language and wordings that we can use to make everyone feel inclusive. I mean, there's we've changed over time the language that we used in in uh, in industry and also as in professions, right? So, you know, policeman, policewoman, now police officer, you know, chairman, chair, right? Man hours, you know, are now called hours or working hours. So language has evolved and changed. And I think that, you know, we evolve and change in, in industry and as a profession as we go on as well. Mm. So it sounds to me like the, really the starting point is being aware and thinking about the language that you use, listening to what your team is saying. And if you do nothing else, I think being aware and then starting to look at ways that you can shift your language or the environment in which you work, that alone can make an impact. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, the impact that we can all make each and every day just by looking at language alone. So how many times a day do you use a word now that you probably won't use it? the word guys, right? You know, so there's different words within organizations that people find offensive that when we look back at time, you know, we would never use them anymore. So just by looking at creating awareness around language, creating awareness around processes, policies that we have in place within our workplaces, you know, do you have a diversity, equity, inclusion statement? What do you have on your job posts so that everyone is welcome to apply? You know, what does that look like? So if I'm not an employee of yours and I want to come and I see your job ad and I want to, you know, check it out. So how does that resonate with me when I read the words on your job ad? We know that males will apply on positions where they have, you know, little of the, the requirements. And I'm not sure if that's a really a them having more self-confidence than what females or women do. Those identify as women. And then females will only apply if there's, we have 90 to 100% of the qualifications. So, you know, I think we really need to work harder at what our job posts look at, really looking at the words that are in there and looking at how we go about hiring folks. You know, do we, do we send our job posts to all the equity seeking groups or do we just post it on one or two job sites? You know, so really, if you're looking for DEI within your organization, you should not do interviews unless you have a, a healthy representation of people within there within that group that you get, you look at blind resume reviews, because we all have biases and unconscious biases. So when you get a resume, look at taking a person's name off it, taking off any identifying information so that you don't see a name and you have something come to your head that says, I can't hire this person because I can't pronunciate their name, or they're from a certain place, so I can't hire them, you know, making all these judgments, which we all do, you know, and I think just becoming aware of some of those biases that we might have will be really healthy in the hiring practices. Mm. I like that. So for any of our listeners who are really hearing this, opening their mind, what do you think are some of the key things that they can take away from this conversation? I think opening your mind and being 
being a listener, being available to have tough conversations, lead, be an inclusive leader, be that CEO that um, looks at all perspectives, that measures their metrics, that provides support, that listens to your employees, that has that open door, um, that wants to learn genuinely, um, that wants to be inclusive of people and to support people, all people, you know, from all different walks of life, no matter whether in construction, whether in industry, or whether you have a small business, I think people really want to create impact and do more. And I think that's what this is all about, you know, creating impact, because I think small changes and small things we do create huge impact within the people we work with in the workplaces that we're in. Stephanie, we've covered so much here. And I think this has been such an important conversation, especially given there there's work to be done here. I think we can all improve our workforces, our workplaces. And not only that, it's obviously a huge benefit to our businesses, especially when we're looking at labor shortages in this industry. So for anybody listening who wants to learn more about you and the work that you do, what's the best way that they can connect with you? They could reach out Stephanie at diversitynl.com. They can certainly you know, see me on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Um, I suggest organizations, no matter where you're to, on the DEI spectrum, and you want to create belonging within your organization, you want to look at metrics, you want to look at training, policies, any of these things, like please reach out no matter where you're to, and certainly we can connect in and have a further conversation. Amazing. And we'll put all those links and details in the show notes as well. So if you're listening, you can go to beyondthetoolspodcast.com to grab all of that. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Tools. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love if you could also share this episode with a fellow contractor who is ready to get off the tools and grow their business. And if you want more leads, sign up for our email list at reflectivemarketing.com, where we share weekly marketing insights that you can't get anywhere else. I'm Crystal Hobbs, and I hope you'll join me on the next episode of Beyond the Tools. See you next time.